You're listening to Bottom Shelf Bitcoin. This is episode 18. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bottom Shelf Bitcoin. As always, I'm Josh Humphrey, I'm your host here. Uh, This week we don't have a special guest, Um, it's just me talking about an argument that I accidentally kicked off on Twitter. This was on my personal account and I've got to be honest, I think somebody would have brought it up at some point and it would have happened either way, so I can't take too much credit for this and I think the longer I looked into this, this argument had had run its course a few months prior along similar lines, but for my own vanity, we're just going to go with it. Now, I didn't really participate in the argument. I asked uh, an initial question that got something started between Vin Armani and Samurai Wallet, if you didn't see it. This happened back on May 30th, and I will link in the show notes to the the original tweet that was from, I think, Dark Pill Dan, um, that I commented on and asked a question of, and then it kind of started a snowball effect. So just clar- trying to clarify some stuff on Vin Armani's project Cointext. So um, before before I go too far into this, let me say this. I'm not here to try and make Vin to be out some like villain guy. I know some people think he's a scammer. I'm not sure I would go that far. Um I've heard him talk on some other things, some libertarian stuff in general. I think he's kind of genuine there in his libertarian beliefs. I think he is definitely an entrepreneur. Um, Because he's an entrepreneur, I think he believes that medium of exchange and merchant adoption are more important, which has led him down the Bcash path, which is why I don't agree with him on that premise. Um, I see why he does, because for him, uh, if you don't know who he is, he kind of has a background as... uh, a male escort, I believe in the Las Vegas area. Uh, I don't think he lives there anymore. I don't even sure if he does that anymore. I don't really care either way, but uh, that's just kind of his background. But, you know, he's not really a cypherpunk. And I'll get into why I say that later. But because of that, he does not have a security first mindset. And that has led this project to have some real vulnerabilities, as we'll get into in a minute. So I'm just going to kind of run down the basic points that were made in this back and forth between him and Samurai Wallet. And then I'm going to read over Timothy May's Crypto Anarchist Manifesto. If you listened to last week's episode, um, Michael Goldstein talked about that. So we're going to read through it real quick. And I just want, so I want you to hear it. And then I'm going to go into kind of some more analysis of different points made by both sides in the conversation and um, and kind of what that means for um, Cointext and what I think it means for you. So here we go. Okay, so Dark Pill Dan had posted something from an article that was talking about Vin's project Cointext. And there was a picture that he put up and it said, the brain behind Cointext, a revolutionary rebranding of sending crypto without needing an internet connection. And uh, and so my question was just like, 
how is this revolutionary? Samurai Wallet's already got Mule tools, and they're working with Gotenna to send using this combination of SMS and mesh networks. Um, you know, blockchain has the satellite. There are other projects that already exist to uh, that are working on sending Bitcoin without requiring the internet. So I just was asking the question, like, does anybody know how this is any different or revolutionary, right? Um, so then Samurai responds and says they believed that Cointext was custodial. And that's kind of what started this back and forth, whether cust- Cointext was custodial or not. And then um, Vin kind of got involved. So originally there was someone else replying back to Samurai saying, no, it's not custodial. And then Samurai said, you know, Samurai kind of looked through some of their stuff that he posted and said, this from what I can see is still custodial. So then Vin got involved and they went back and forth for a while. And um, Vin's point was kind of like they don't store the keys or the information to produce the keys on the disk. It's always in RAM, so it's never saved to any hard drive. And basically that, you know, he had sought qualified expert legal opinion and that was satisfied that that fell within Finson's definition, legal definition of non-custodial. Samurai was basically making the point, this is not sufficient. And there's many others besides Samurai that, you know, they were saying, look, because Cointext is able to sign transactions on their servers for their client, then they're able to generate the private keys, which means that if they wanted to, or if they got hacked, all our clients' money would be available. Um, And I will link both to this Twitter thread, as well as to the things that Cointext, you know, the articles that they put up and rebutted with, so that you can see both sides. I don't want you to just to take my word for it. You know, don't trust, verify, look and see what they said, read it for yourself, see what you think. In Vin's defense, and a lot of his point was basically um, that in business, there's there's always this idea of reputation. Um, and I think he's made a good living and done a lot of his business based on his reputation. Uh, I just don't agree that that applies for Bitcoin wallets. Um, it, it applies to some extent, right? Because I trust the people at Samurai, but they don't require me to trust them because their stuff is open source and you can look through the code if you want to. That's a very basic short summary of what happened. Again, go back and read through it and see what you think. I'm going to go ahead and read the Crypto Anarchist Manifesto uh, because it has implications for Bitcoin in general, and I think everyone should read it after reading it. Uh, But it also has implications for this project. So, Okay, so this is from 1988, Timothy C. May, The Crypto Anarchist Manifesto. A specter is haunting the modern world, the specter of crypto anarchy. Computer technology is on the verge of providing the ability for individuals and groups to communicate and interact with each other in a totally anonymous manner. Two persons may exchange messages, conduct business, and negotiate electronic contacts without ever knowing the true name or legal identity of the other. Interactions over networks will be untraceable via extensive rerouting of encrypted packets and tamper-proof boxes which implement cryptographic protocols with nearly perfect assurance against any tampering. Reputations will be of central importance, far more important in dealings than even the credit ratings of today. These developments will alter completely the nature of government regulation, 
the ability to tax and control economic interactions, the ability to keep information secret, and will even alter the nature of trust and reputation. The technology for this revolution, and it surely will be both a social and economic revolution, has existed in theory for the past decade. The methods are based upon public key encryption, zero-knowledge interactive proof systems, and various software protocols for interaction, authentication, and verification. The focus has until now been on academic conferences in Europe and the U.S., conferences monitored closely by the National Security Agency. But only recently have computer networks and personal computers attained sufficient speed to make the ideas practically realizable. And the next 10 years will bring enough additional speed to make the ideas economically feasible and essentially unstoppable. High-speed networks, ISDN, tamper-proof boxes, smart cards, satellites, Kuban transmitters, multi-MIPS personal computers, and encryption chips now under development will be some of the enabling technologies. The state will, of course, try to slow or halt the spread of this technology, citing national security concerns, use of the technology by drug dealers and tax evaders, and fears of societal disintegration. Many of these concerns will be valid. Crypto anarchy will allow national secrets to be traded freely and will allow illicit and stolen materials to be traded. An anonymous computerized market will even make possible abhorrent markets for assassinations and extortion. Various criminal and foreign elements will be active users of CryptoNet, but this will not halt the spread of crypto anarchy. Just as the technology of printing altered and reduced the power of medieval guilds and the social power structure, so too will cryptologic methods fundamentally alter the nature of corporations and of government interference in economic transactions. Combined with emerging information markets, crypto anarchy will create a liquid market for any and all material which can be put into words and pictures. And just as seemingly minor invention like barbed wire made possible the fencing off of vast ranches and farms, thus altering forever the concepts of land and property rights in the western frontier, so too will the seemingly minor discovery of an arcane branch of mathematics come to be the wire clippers which dismantled the barbed wire around intellectual property. Arise, you have nothing to lose but your barbed wire fences. Timothy C. May Okay, so in light of that... Um, Let's re-examine a few things that went on in this discussion. You know, like I said, I don't see Den Armani as a cypherpunk or a crypto anarchist. Um, he may use and believe in crypto. He, from what I've heard of him on other things, he is definitely for abolishing the Fed and things like that. Um, but here, you know, in the crypto anarchist manifesto, there's a deliberate rejection of the state. And a focus, you know, he said, you know, cutting barbed wire fences of regulation. Um, then is focusing on creating a viable business and wants to avoid legal trouble. So he goes and asks permission to make sure he isn't going to run into the barbed wire fence. Remember back to the episode when I talked to Beauty on about KYC and AML legislation. Uh, what did we talk about? Why would you ask permission for something like this? Just do it right? If there's not regulations against it already existing, then don't ask for permission. Just do the thing, right? That's what Bitcoin is about. Satoshi didn't go to the IMF. He didn't go to the Fed. He didn't ask permission if he could create a digital currency to reject the government funny money. He just, he and the others just, they got to coding and they just did the thing. Um, you know, and again, this goes back to Vin is basing so much of this on his reputation and the idea that since he has, you know, quote unquote, skin in the game, to borrow the phrase from Taleb, um, 
and I don't think skin in the game is a bad concept, right? I'm just saying this is his whole thing here on Cointext. If you go through and read the article, at some point he's basically saying, trust me, I'm a public figure. I've staked my reputation on this. And it would be disastrous for me to, you know, put my customers at a security risk. So I would never do such a thing. He thinks that that should be enough to keep him accountable. And we're just supposed to trust that he would never cheat the system. And and if you go through and read, you can see he, he even challenged the samurai devs and, you know, saying like relationships and businesses are built on trust and interactions and, and um, introductions. Hi, I'm Vin Armani, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you know, you shouldn't have to trust. You know, trust is fine, but you shouldn't have to. Um, and this is the same problem that Ethereum has, right? Everything rests on Vitalik. Not everything, but so much rests on Vitalik. Um, you know, we've talked about this before. If or when the governments take issue with Ethereum, they just have to put pressure on Vitalik. Um, you can't do that with Bitcoin. You know, you can put pressure on a dev here or there, but even if they put pressure on all the devs, you know, the consensus mechanisms and the process for approving changes to the code is fairly thorough. It's not like they can just get one person to start putting in bad code. I mean, we kind of talked about that, um, I think, in the episode with Ansel Lindner. But, you know, the things that he talked about, the people he talked about said, you know, people think that that's what happened with these guys, but they couldn't get the things that they wanted in Bitcoin and they're not with Bitcoin anymore. So as far as the full network is concerned, you know, Satoshi's gone and nodes are decentralized. But Vin has publicly staked his reputation on this project. And so he has to keep himself within the legal bounds laid down by the state. Samurai, on the other hand, they're anonymous. We don't know who they are. So they don't have to give a flip about what the states say or this state or that state or this country or whoever. They're like, here, we're making this product, you know. We're not responsible for what you do with it. And we're not responsible for the legal code. You don't know who we are. You can't come after us. Here's the thing. Use it. It's worth considering these ideas of trust and reputation. But Samurai's reputation is built not on their specific name, but on the product that they've created, the code they've done. What they have put out that time and time again is focused on user privacy. All right. So another thing. Vin made this point about users trusting Samurai's APK. So that's the um, the package that you download from the Google Play Store, right? And that most users do not compile their own code. And he was trying to make the point that Samurai was doing the same thing that they were accusing him of doing. And, um, you know, I agree to the extent that yeah, most people just would rather the convenience of downloading the APK from the Google Play Store. Um, okay, that's a fair point, right? But the difference is that Samurai has the option to compile the code yourself. You know, it's open source. You can check the code and you can compile it yourself and verify. And um, so in light of that, I figured if I was going to be bringing all this stuff up, I should put my money where my mouth was. And I did. I went back. I downloaded the code. Now, I'm not a Java developer. So, you know, I wasn't 100% thorough, right? Like, I can't read through that code and know for sure. But I did download the code from their GitHub repository, which is open source. And I compiled it myself. And it works. So, by the way, there's some really good videos 
Um, I'll link to them in the show notes, bottomshelfbitcoin.com slash 18. Um, there are some good videos out there about backing up your, if you use Samurai Wallet, backing it up. And then um, I'll put some links up of how to compile, you know, source code into an APK and, and load it onto your onto your phone and all that, and how to load your backup file onto that self-compiled APK. I will make a note, because I ran into this a couple of times, if you're going to do that, and this was the scary part, you have to delete your, you have to uninstall Samurai off of your phone before you. it will allow you to load the APK that you, lo- you side-loaded. So, you know, you may want to make a couple of backups and store them in a couple of places and write down all your seed words and all that stuff. So you're double super secret sure that you have something to back this up with. Okay. All right. Let's get back to it. So and anyways, like I said, I just, I didn't want to be a hypocrite and sit there and, and say all that and then not have done it myself. So I did. I went and I compiled my from source and that's how I'm running mine now. Um, but the difference is Cointext doesn't give this option. It's not open source. Um, and then they're going to sit there and refuse to admit that they're custodial and they're going to hide behind FinCEN's legal definition rather than the common connotation in the crypto space of the word custodial, which is that they have the ability to make transactions on your behalf. Um, and they help 100% meet that. You know, It's like saying a cafeteria lunch is nutritious because it meets the FDA standards of recommended servings of fruit and vegetables, even though you know they're counting... French fried potatoes and sugary apple juice as vegetables and fruit. You know, that's not actually healthy for you, right? Like, but it's quote unquote nutritious because it meets the legal standards. That's basically what he's doing here. Um, So if you know of OXT Block Explorer, which um, Samurai acquired not too long ago, uh, one of their developers or maybe the only developer, I don't know, Laurent MT, follow him on Twitter. He's got good stuff. Um, so he is, he, he's a dev for OXT Explore and he had some great commentary in this thread. If you haven't read it, go, go read his stuff. And I was, I was kind of hoping at some point to get him on here to talk about this more, but, um, it just, it wasn't going to work out. Um, so I'm going to, I want to kind of read through some of the things that he had said because it was good stuff. So he says, uh, so someone had pointed out like, oh, this is stupid. We're, we're getting caught up on semantics rather than solutions. And he says, truth is that properties aren't, the properties aren't good. Private keys are generated from a very low entropy source. This is basically 100% security through obscurity. The best thing which may happen is that the service closes before all the users lose their money. Uh, and this guy, Dr. Goss says, it's a good legal question. Does having the ability to create that which is necessary to take custody of customer funds make one a custodian? In the crypto-savvy user space, the answer is, of course. In law, it's something that has or is to be tested by a lawsuit. Um, and then, so then let's go back, go back to Laurent MT, and he kind of has a thread here. He says, to be honest, it's not about the law, it's about ethics. I like to think there are still decent and ethical people in the Bcash community. He said BCH, I said Bcash, sorry, to quote him. BCH community who will stop this before it ends badly. This system is basically mobile money, but with BCH. The targeted markets are, quote, third world countries. 
Cointext clearly states it on their website or in their tweets. And then he quotes uh, Ben Armani on from some other time that was talking about uh, it being a specific use case for small amounts of money and onboarding third world countries. And he says, I understand that some people in the BCH community feel excited in the prospect of Cointext gaining wider adoption. That would be very good marketing. Imagine the headlines. Finally, a blockchain is making the world a better place. But here's the problem. The security of Cointext is broken by design. The question isn't if it will be broken, but when. The fact that people individually store little money in this system doesn't help. The higher the adoption, the stronger the incentive for attacking the system. So yes, I really hope there are still decent people in the BCH community who think that screwing users from the third world countries for some good marketing isn't an acceptable trade-off. And then he kind of goes into talking about these trade-offs of convenience and security. And he says, it's important to understand that Cointext makes two trade-offs. First one is similar similar to the trade-off made by other mobile money platforms using SMS or USSD menus. These texts are notoriously unsecure, but in some contexts, I could agree that the value risk ratio is acceptable. Then Cointext makes a second trade-off by using the phone number as the seed used to generate private keys. This one is really bad. It transforms Cointext servers in single points of failure. My understanding is that the goal of the second trade-off is just to avoid being considered a custodian. In my books, it's pure cynicism. This is why I'm so harsh about this solution. So I I really appreciated what he said here because he gives room for there to be good, well-meaning people within Bcash. Um, You know, if you've listened to the show, you know I don't have any any special love for Bcash. I really try not to talk about them too much because I feel like it's a step backwards to just keep bringing them up. I think if you just leave them alone, they'll die out on their own. Um, I don't literally mean the people dying, obviously. I don't wish humans harm. I just, this is a bad system and it needs to go away. But I don't think all the people in Bcash are evil. I think, you know, Jihan, Roger, CSW, these people are scammers. These leaders in the movement are scammers. Um, And most of the rest just kind of follow what they say. But actually, if you go back and look, there's a lot of, people now questioning some of this stuff and, and even Vin Armani, go look at some of the stuff he's, he's questioning CSW on lately. Um, and man, I applaud him for that because hello, that's the whole point, right? Like don't trust verify. And he's, he's asking some really good questions. Um, (laughs) I think the irony is that the solution to these problems is going to end up leading them and pushing them back towards the the technological development that Bitcoin has taken versus Bcash, but we'll, we'll, that that remains to be seen. But anyways, my, my point was, um, well, first that um, I thought it was really generous of Laurent MT to just make that statement. Like he hopes that there's still people in the BCH community that really want to do good and want to do things the right way and help people, um, and and maybe maybe we disagree about the best way to do that, but hopefully they will recognize that this has problems. And then this brings up the, you know, the technological flaws. And this is just, man, you know, if you, if you really want to read through this thread, it kind of fragments in a couple of places. And and if you were to map it out on paper, it would look like, you know, this trees root system where people are kind of jumping into these different parts of, of replies and stuff. But Charlie Lee jumps in and um uh and kind of went off on this other thing about the the security of this uh this model 
And, and so let's recap here what Cointext is actually doing. They're using a 10-digit phone number to deterministically derive a private key. And then when a user wants to send a transaction, Cointext briefly generates that private key to sign the transaction for the user in the cloud. So again, they're not storing the private key on disk, but they've got the seed that's based on a 10-digit phone number. And then in RAM, they generate the private key just long enough to sign the transaction and then it gets destroyed. And so because it is that brief, it is not considered quote unquote custodial by FinCEN. But the real problem is that they have the capability to generate your keys at all, you know? And they talk a big game about how they don't hold your private keys and that you can get your private keys, but the code is not open source and it can never be open source because if it was open source, then you could get anybody's money with their phone number. And so then it can't be open source, which is problematic for accountability reasons. No one else can verify it. But also it, it could, again, you can't get over that by making it open source because then you open up this huge security hole. And, you know, Charlie pointed out, if anyone is ever able to get a hold of that function, they can run 10 billion phone numbers through it. I think it's roughly 10 billion. Is that the right number? Whatever. Check me on that. 10 billion, I think is what he said, through it and generate a list of all private keys. And then they have access to all of their customers' funds. All of them. That's it. Game over. Done. All of the funds. You know? And and I'm not saying that like Vin is going to do this. Right? I, and I think he real that Vin really believes and, and he's not the only one. He's just like the main person behind this and that and he was the one in this discussion. So that's why I'm bringing him up specifically. There's other people that are backing this, obviously. I choose to believe he's not interested in stealing people's money. He's rich enough. He doesn't need it. Um, and my hope is that over the next couple of weeks, he thinks about this and he kind of goes back to the drawing board. Um, because here's the thing, sending over SMS would be really cool. If it was secure, I would be all for it because that infrastructure is there all over the world, right? You don't have to have 4G to send over SMS. But if you're going to sacrifice security to do it, then it's not worth it. Bitcoin is going to beat out Bcash. I, I fully believe that. Um, and, and I don't think that Roger Ver is genuine when he rants about starving babies in Africa as his motivation. At the same time, look, if Bcash can be used to help people out of poverty, then I'm not against that. You know, I'm not so petty that I would rather see people starving than to see Bcash succeed. Uh, that's ridiculous. But my fear is that Vin and any other developer or whoever says, oh, forget you haters and forges ahead. And, you know, this argument has happened before back in like February or March. I went back and found like, oh, basically these same points have been raised already. Um, which makes me less hopeful you know, and, and I kind of think he's going to take the fingers in the ears route. Um, and that's my fear is that, that, cause that's going to be the worst case scenario for both the users and for Vin. Basically here's the worst case scenario. Cointext works more or less. And it gets this massive adoption 
especially in the third world. And then somebody gets a hold of that function that they use to create the private keys. You know, maybe they hire another developer because it's getting so big and they're, you know, needing another developer, right? That's a legitimate reason to hire somebody. Or, God forbid, the system gets hacked. And to believe that you are totally immune from ever being hacked is just, it's just arrogant for anyone, you or me or anyone to believe that you are incapable of being hacked is just arrogant. So you need to have multiple, you know, protections in place, basically. But, but worst case scenario is it's gotten mass adoption and now either a malicious hire or a... Um, a hacker gets a hold of that function and now can just drain the accounts of tons of people in developing countries. So now the users all lose and now Vin's reputation is tanked because he's basically told all these people in third world countries, trust me, your money is safe with me and my product. And now the money's been stolen and his reputation is just destroyed. You know, and that's, I'm, I'm not wishing that for him. I think on some level, he's probably a good guy, but I just, you know, some people think he's a total scammer. I, I don't go that far. You know, I think he's trying to do what he thinks is a good idea. Um, but I just, I'm not really hopeful for it. Like I said, because I found evidence this conversation had been ha had before and, you know, they're taking it personally. Him and, and his other Bcash friends seem to be taking it personally, like, this is all about trying to destroy Bcash when it's really like people pointing out, hey, this is not secure and you need to not do this because you're going to lose your customer's money. Um, and this kind of goes back to, if you remember when I had Rockstar Dev on, you know, you have to be willing to take criticism. You have to be willing to hear opinions that you don't like or you may not agree with. Um, you know, you have to be able to criticize your own work or listen to the criticism of others. I, I think in my own personal life, you know, this is getting philosophical here, but, you know, the dearest friends of mine are the ones who will look me in the face when I'm doing something stupid or detrimental to myself or others and say, you need to quit this. This is, this is stupid or whatever. Those are probably more, you know, your real friends. Um, so, and even if they're not your friends or whatever, like you need to take the advice, be able to listen at least and consider the criticism of people who are making good products and are doing good work because yeah, otherwise you're just going to end up doing something like this. So anyways, um, Y'all don't go tweet a bunch of ugly things at Vin. I'm not trying to start another Twitter fight. I really am not. I didn't, I wasn't trying to start that one. I was really just asking a question. Don't, don't tweet a bunch of ugly things at him. I'm just wanting you to be aware of these things so you can know what goes on. So you can think about these things critically and evaluate projects that you see. It's really, really easy to get excited by buzzwords and marketing and blockchain, all the things and decentralize this and that and blah, blah, blah. Most of these projects have very little substance. And of those that have any kind of substance or use case, even fewer are secure solutions, especially with your money. Now, on the flip side, well, we're kind of running up to our time here. Um, you know, uh, I just kind of want to speak for this eat BCH thing. 
if you saw that. The uh, I, I talked to the guy that was behind the group in Venezuela. So there's two groups. So EatBCH is a group that uses Bcash to, I guess, help people in situations where they need money to be able to buy food, right? Obviously, Venezuela's in bad shape. Um, and then there was a second group started in Sudan. However, uh, they're not connected groups other than the group in Sudan took inspiration from the group in Venezuela. So I haven't talked to anybody in the South Sudan Eat BCH group. I did talk to uh, the the guy, Jose, that started the, uh, the Eat BCH, the original one for Venezuela. Um, I had a lot of criticism for this project and it came under fire uh, for a number of reasons, but a big one was that they were criticized for, um, you know, not preserving the dignity of the people that they, they, you know, they would take pictures of the people receiving food or whatever. And um, they basically said that this was for accountability to donors. Um, I don't fully agree with that, but you know, I talked back and forth with him. I think he makes some okay points. Again, I don't fully agree with him, but um, uh, I kind of I asked him to come on the show. But I think he just in the middle of all of this, and he had just kind of written up a an article explaining why they do what they do, and so he declined to come on the show and talk about it. But um, you know, that was just that was not in a, in a you know an opportunity for me to attack him. That was just I really wanted to get his side of the story. Um, cause I, I like to at least the first time give people the benefit of the doubt. And then if they continue to do things that are, are obviously scammy or whatever, then I, I stop giving people the benefit of the doubt if it, if it's a perpetuated thing, but, um, I'm not, I guess I'm not going to go into everything, all the details that I, that I was originally thinking I was going to go into, cause we're kind of, um, getting close to our hour mark here. But, um, but I will link in the show notes to the article that he wrote up that he sent me. Um, so, so go through and read it again. I don't fully agree with everything he says on there. Um, he basically lists, uh, the, the top things that they come on, came under fire for and what his, what their reasonings were for the way that they do things. Um, um, I still am not sure I agree with taking pictures of people. I understand their motivation, but I, I still am not sure that's the best way to do it. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the other big thing was going with Bcash or BCH. And basically his, his take was it wasn't meant to be political at the time that they started it. Bcash had the lowest transaction fees and they were looking to maximize the amount of money they can put into food. So um, that's a very short summed up version of why they did the things they did. Um, and I think you should go read that article. It's worth, it's worth a read. Even if you don't agree with everything he says in there, you should go through and read it. Um, you know, I think it'd be hard to be in that kind of situation, you know, where you're literally watching people starve because of your, your country's socialist government and destroying the economy and, and everything. So, um, 
yeah, it's it's kind of difficult to pass blame on somebody in that kind of situation. Like I said, I don't agree with everything he says. I don't know that I would do it that way, but it's hard to know until you're in that position. Now, the uh, um, the one suggestion that I made to him was that Shapeshift, um, and I know not everybody loves Shapeshift, and I'm not saying that they're the best, but Shapeshift has this integration that you can use where um, you know you can put put a an address for a specific currency, and then basically anyone can donate to you in any currency, and um, and then it will automatically convert to whatever you like. So, like for his instance, it would be BCH, and so you could donate in whatever rando altcoin or Bitcoin or whatever, and it would convert it and then deposit BCH into their preferred wallet. So, um, you know, he seemed open to that idea. Hopefully we'll see that implemented for them in the future. Um, I think that would kind of bring some of that criticism and some of that, um, you know, altcoin, uh, political criticism down. Um, so anyways, again, just the point that like, I don't think all cashers are evil or bad or scammers. Uh, I think there's some that are out there legitimately trying to do the right thing. Um, but that does not excuse people like Jihan or CSW or Roger. So it's a, it's a mixed bag. Um, and to be fair, I've seen some really uh, hateful people in the Bitcoin community as well. So, you know, before you uh, go starting fights on Twitter or you know, jumping in crank to 11 on something, take a deep breath and ask yourself if this is a fight worth having. Sometimes it is. Sometimes people, uh, need to have things explained to them, but you know, try to do it in a way that, that, uh, helps people understand things rather than just attacking and burning. Cause that's not, that's not going to make people see your side. So anyways, all right, that's going to do it for the main content. Um, you guys know the drill. If you want to uh, help us out, give us a good review on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, share the show, Twitter, Facebook. It'll be up in a couple of days on YouTube. You can share it again there. Um, if you want to support me financially, you can go to patreon.com slash bottom shelf Bitcoin. And... Um, for the interviews, I've started doing full-length interviews for all the content that has to get cut for time. Um, you know, the full-length version is up on Patreon. So I've got the last two interviews I did with Ansel Lindner and Michael Goldstein up there, the full-length version. So there's some good content in there that just um, I couldn't keep in the in the one-hour time slot. So, um, you know, go check that stuff out. And uh, the other things uh, I've got up on my website, bottomshelfbitcoin.com slash donate. You can just, you know, do one-time payments or whatever on there. Um, or the uh, Tuttle Twins books, bottomshelfbitcoin.com slash kids book. Those are, those are really good books. I read them to my kids. They're, they're good stuff. Free market economics and liberty and all that kind of stuff. Um, specifically about money if you want to read the uh, the creature from Jekyll Island is a really good one talking about the Fed and, and all that so um, yeah hit me up on Twitter at bottom shelf BTC I uh, had someone recently suggest some things to look into for the show so I'm going to be considering those so you guys send those my way um, 
yeah, I'm always always happy to hear back from people who listen to the show and, and get comments and take suggestions and criticism. So you guys uh, let me know what you're thinking. All right, come back next week and we will be back to our normal interview style. And uh, yeah, we'll see you then. For Bottom Shelf Bitcoin, I'm Josh Humphrey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>